70 million pounds that's cheap these days isn't it yeah well I mean I, I think that my true value to the rant cast was shown by the fact that nobody could match your valuation for me in the transfer window this is true this is this is true I had had other podcasts sniffing around and uh, yeah I sent them away £2.50 valuation no it's my undying love for the podcast that keeps me here I'm, I'm a rant cast badge kisser and no mistake very good yeah well let's get let's get the transfer window out of the way because there, there were some there were some very odd shenanigans going on well I, I don't think anyone would be surprised that United didn't actually spend any money in the window well Anders Lindegaard but that was sealed some months ago uh, but last day 50 million for permanently injured Fernando Torres and 20 odd million for Suarez uh, who, who was offered to Spurs for about 12 million a couple of weeks ago he's uh, scored a lot of goals in the Dutch league so I'm given to understand yeah so did Matai Kesman and that fellow at Millsborough no one can remember anymore Alfonso Alves that's him Alfonso chap and and then if that wasn't mad enough 35 million for Andy Carroll who's played less than 40 games in the Premier League and scored uh, I don't know what is it 11 or 12 goals Steve Gerrard Gerrard he kisses the badge on his chest then puts Andy Carroll up at the court's request Steve Gerrard Gerrard yeah aren't they legally bound to bid for Kevin Nolan as well that's why he was so expensive because uh, they had to pay to move Kevin Nolan's house to Liverpool. No, I, I think all that has actually passed. I understand, right? That it's, he's not on bail anymore. They'll, they'll just send Gaza around there with a fishing rod and a bucket of KFC. I, I'm going to ask you to do a mental exercise for the rest of this conversation, or at least the next bit of it. Pretend it's not Liverpool because trying to have an impartial conversation with you about stuff that Liverpool do is next to impossible. But say it was, I don't know, another team in Liverpool's position. Um, what N- near the bottom struggling somewhat <laughs> yeah exactly desperate for points <laughs> but with maybe a lot of money to spend isn't Suarez and Andy Carroll kind of an exciting front too what a big man little man combination well, well Suarez has been talked talked about for some time and obviously is 22 million pounds is, is a pretty significant fee although somewhat less than Villa paid for Darren Bent so yeah it, maybe it'll come good I think it's a risk and Andy Carroll's a massive risk I mean he, he might come as a good player but it, it is kind of classic big man little man I, I am pretty certain Andy Carroll is not a 35 million power player maybe he'll become one I have to say I don't see it on the evidence you know so far but maybe the thing is it's a, just an insanely large gamble a lot of Liverpool fans that I was talking to this week the kind of thing that, that I've heard a few times is you know well you know alright Torres has left but 50 million is a good whack for Torres and I was thinking well that's fine and I understand that logic within its own framework is totally I, I, you know, if we sold Wayne Rooney for fifty million pounds, that'd be fine, as long as we didn't spend thirty-five million of it on a kind of gamble replacement. Because no, no. What we, what we did was sell Ronaldo for eighty million and, and not spend any of it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But clearly, we, we've got a squad that's good enough to win the league, or at least good enough to come close. It's just, it's absolutely bizarre. The financial profit is just not big, you know, because the Suarez thing. I mean, okay, so Barbel went out as well it just it's just such an insane amount of money on a gamble but then if you've got the money sitting there you know you could do what United do and say there's no value in the transfer market which is obviously not true but then there was certainly not much value in the transfer market on January the 31st this year but you could do what United do and not spend any of the money or you can take a punt and I think the supporters of the club are probably more excited about the prospect of them taking a punt aren't they oh yeah I'm, I'm sure yeah yeah absolutely and uh, time will tell whether the 
the money gained from Torres and Babel and swapping it for Suarez and Carroll pays off. It, se- it seems like they've they've swapped someone really not very good and someone very very good but injured all the time for a, for a couple of you know potentially very good players yeah. and, and and that's where the gamble is and, and it's about the same fee yeah. uh, for the two of them so they've come out about even but yeah you know those things can't get worse for Liverpool can they? It's not <laughs> as if they're, they're about to qualify for the Champions League and I'm sure Torres knew that and uh, it wasn't prepared to sit out for another year. One thing that's kind of interesting about this is like Torres really 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 didn't want to go to Manchester City did he? It's clear that he was doing everything in his power to stay away from Eastlands. I have to say that that was somewhat amusing yeah. but, but but why would people who are uh, who are genuinely top class players actually go to, to City yet? They're, they're not a top class team yet. No. They're not about to win the league and they're not in the Champions League and they could qualify for the Champions League but that's not guaranteed so uh, I, I don't think people who consider themselves to be in the top echelon of you know, football football's elite will go there just yet they have to qualify for the Champions League they have to do better in the Champions League and then they'll be in the club but uh, but it's not yet and, and Chelsea are in that club although of course you know, some somewhat behind United uh, in the in the Premier League table and, and uh, yeah, despite winning at the weekend they're still what seven eight points behind something like that how do you think uh, Torres is signing impacts on the rest of this season do you think he's going to make a big difference to Chelsea's uh, crack at the title got the feeling that they buying him with an eye on Champions League rather than the Premier League I, I believe I'm right in saying he's not cup tied because he, he's only played in the Europa League not in the Champions League so he can actually play um, w- which um, David Luiz can't the defender they also uh, spent huge money on on deadline day so I, I kind of get the feeling they're, they're thinking well perhaps, probably most likely being you know, nearly 10 points behind or whatever it is it's uh, we're not going to win the Premier League is it 10 points yeah 10 points there you go so they're probably thinking we're not going to win this our best shot's the Champions League which is probably right yeah no I, I think that's absolutely right uh, one thing I want to say as well although I said like maybe fans would prefer teams to take a punt I definitely think there's not a United fan in the land who would rather we'd spent 35 million on Andy Carroll than not spent any money in the transfer window I, I can't see that being the case um, the, the Charlie Adam thing on the last day was kind of interesting because suddenly his price went to 2-5 to five that he was going to sign for United and, and maybe that's just people getting overexcited with paper talk or whatever or, and, and the bookies you know when someone's price starts to go in that tends to make the price go in more and more and more um, as people think something's happening but it also can indicate that there was something genuine going on because it, it was very late in the day that that started to happen uh, do you think there was mm. any truth in that I, I, I have mixed feelings about it because you know Fergie said like his corners are worth 10 million and I was saying at the beginning of the transfer window why don't we just sign David Beckham and bring him on for 10 minutes at the end of every game to take all the corners we do need someone who can take hit a good dead ball I, I don't see it actually I, I don't believe that there's anything in that I, I don't think that's where Ferguson's looking right at the moment I don't think he'd spend that kind of money in the, the uh, mid-season transfer window Blackpool were asking an awful lot and not prepared to let him go for anything you know, more than an extraordinary amount of money which Spurs found out of course with a late bid so I, I, I yeah I don't think so I just don't I just don't think that's I think there are other players they are looking at and um, and we'll see whether United actually stump up the money because the uh, players they, they, they certainly have been interested in recently they've not been prepared to meet the asking prices Harry Redknapp on transfer deadline day was like me on football manager transfer deadline day just like you go through the whole list of all the best players you can find and just put in the biggest bid you can afford to put in for every single one of them and get turned down by them all and end up with no one and a really miserable Jermaine Defoe and Peter Crouch yeah well I, I'm not I'm not sure that you can say much for Tottenham's transfer strategy if it's leave it till 11 o'clock on transfer deadline day then send out 15 faxes with bids for strikers you've got no hope of signing not not least uh, 
you know, all fairly big name strikers, very expensive and probably don't want to move at the last minute and their clubs probably don't want to sell at the last minute because you can't buy a replacement. It was crazy. I, I really don't understand it. And I know this is an extremely well-worn football comedy trough, but it gets me every time. Fax machines. I work in an office, right? I, I, I've been known to do a bit of admin in my time. I haven't sent a fax in two years. Who's sending faxes? This is true. I have not sent a fax since 1997. Really? Oh, well, yeah. you, you were ahead of your time with the scanners then because uh, around the year 2000 I was faxing up a storm yeah I've always said you're a bit of a faxer thanks thanks a lot uh, this is why I, uh, this is why I was making eyes at other podcasts in the transfer window it's tall like this should we talk about Manchester United since uh, talking about transfers doesn't seem to involve us very much <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we should. Uh, so, FA Cup at Southampton, uh, United into the fifth round, but it was one of those away performances. You you kind of leave the game thinking, oh, just yeah, did enough, just about. Yeah, it's it's one of those 11s where you think, you know what, Sir Alex, it might cause us problems if you change all the players in the team all at the same time and none of them play together on a regular basis and none of them really are first stringers. Uh, I know they should be better, good enough to beat Sam. Well, I know they clearly were good enough to beat Southampton but it was incredibly and unsurprisingly disjointed yeah yeah very disjointed some pretty poor performances in there and, and uh, you know certain Irishmen you're about to drop the G-bomb aren't you I can feel the G-bomb oh. coming Yes, he was no good. Let's just leave it at that. I, I, it'll feel like a vendetta if we keep going on about him. But yeah, just just very very poor and and just didn't function a lot of United. And, and in fact, in the first half, I mean Southampton were pretty unlucky not not to make more of, uh, of the opportunities they got. Although I have to say, Oxlade Chamberlain fella wasn't really all that good for all the press he's he's got recently. And and you you could see he's got a nice touch and and there's a certain amount of class to him. But but he uh, in a, in a, in a team that was actually buzzing around United and, and functioning pretty well he, he didn't really stand out but, but there you go they are League One so you know, we, we can't expect an awful lot and, and actually we can expect a little bit more from United even though it was a fringe side and he's, uh, it, there were eight internationals and one under 21 in the side something along the, the, those lines and and you, you do kind of expect a bit better and I think it's just we might have got a better performance out of United if they just played their reserve 11 because at least they'd be playing together on them more regular basis. I mean, you say you can expect a performance out of them, and, and there's eight internationals and blah blah blah. But it's sorry, I don't mean to imply that what you were saying was blah blah blah. But you know what I mean. It's it's we say this all the time. You can expect a performance out of X, Y, and Z, but you never, ever, ever get it. When was the last time a makeshift United side looked good? Yeah, I don't remember. And of course, we've got the the game coming up against Crawley in a couple of weeks' time on the nineteenth, and you you would expect Ferguson to play a fringe side there too. Potential for some severe embarrassment, you know, a la Burton and Exeter. I mean, it's it's at Old Trafford. I, I, that's a phenomenal, absolutely amazing draw in some ways, although anyone that knows anything about Crawley Town knows that it's not exactly a romantic Magic of the Cup type story because they're, you know, they're very well and slightly shadily bankrolled. Yep, this is right, yeah. And so it's it's not quite as exciting as it might otherwise be, but it's still very cool for those players, I think. It's shady financial de- dealings with a very shady manager too, of course, Gary Evans, yeah. Yeah, in- indicted for fraudulent reporting of club figures 
figures some years ago. Yes, they they paid their players way more than they actually reported. Yeah, yeah, and and now you know he's managing another really well financed uh, conference side. Um, so it's it's a bit it's a bit questionable uh, all that stuff, but still it's still kind of exciting. And for the for the players involved, it must be just brilliant. The idea of uh, coming to United I, to I, face the G bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Um, talking of the G bomb, I thought the F bomb. Uh, Fabio, I don't know, he's not really the F bomb. I'm just, that's just a phrase. But Fabio looked really, really good until he came off injured. Yeah, but that's his problem all over, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he, he's obviously got the raw talent, but he, he is Mr. Glass Mark two mm. or three or four, if you include a few others in there. Yes, um, it's it, it's it's really unfortunate because because he does look he does look really really good. Um, and his brothers obviously come on in leaps and bounds recently, and if the if the two of them can stay fit for a considerable period of time they they could be just brilliant for years and years to come but, but that is obviously a huge if um, I thought that Anders Lindegaard whose debut it was against Southampton very difficult to tell against Southampton but he had us I've never seen him play before I must admit I didn't do any research when we signed him he has a certain Van der Sar quality to him I thought he's he, he sort of I don't know he I, I, he he looked good to me he looked kind of assured I don't mean you know draw any massive conclusions to this but it was a sort of a hmm yeah I'm okay maybe I can see that well, I, don't, I don't think he's going to be rubbish he is the Danish international keeper so yeah. I, I don't think anyone expected him to be you know, Andy Gorham or Massimo Taibbi he was the Scottish international keeper or, or Mark Bosnich and he was the Australian national keeper yes yes and unfortunately he also had a massive coke habit but that's a whole other story isn't it I, look I'm, I'm sure Anders Lindegaard's a decent keeper but but decent keeper and the keeper of the level that should be at United are two different things and, and we'll find out all down to cash as we said before isn't it all the noises say that United are going to go after one of the, the leading lights of European goalkeeping after Van der Sar retires in the summer um, we'll see whether that actually happens or not uh, it, would it surprise anyone if Ferguson says around June or August we've been really pleased with Anders Lindegaard he's made terrific progress and he'll be our new number one no I wouldn't be surprised at all and you know also I wouldn't rule out the possibility of that not just being Sir Alex being whatever but actually a meaningful you know and somewhat accurate statement because Landgaard has come on you know I don't think that's impossible either although obviously it's perhaps the less likely scenario um, from a really 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 average United performance to a pretty pretty darn good one uh, Aston Villa at home what did you make of that? Yeah I thought I thought actually it was, it was close to being United's best performance of the season it just kind of worked I, actually I saw some criticism Michael Carrick afterwards and I was like actually I thought he had a really good game yeah. it, it was it was much more of that kind of quarterback role that he, he played to such great effect in his first three seasons at United he passed the ball well thought Berbatov had a really good game Rooney obviously scored a blinding goal after you know, three or four seconds or whatever it was it just seemed that United functioned up front and were solid enough at the back just about I mean, um, the uh, the goal was sloppy but but yeah good performance all round I thought from United and the reverse curse of the rank cast strikes again we uh, slated Wayne Rooney for his well I don't know about slated but we uh, definitely damned his performance and questioned where his head was at and his confidence and his first touch and his finishing and 58 seconds into the game he controlled a ball that had come all the way down the field with one touch and with his second touch blast it past and helpless Brad Friedel for United's opening goal that was very very Wayne Rooney-esque it was yes that was the, the kind of thing we were used to from Rooney isn't it and has been so lacking I 
I, I still thought his body language was a bit odd. I mean, he didn't really celebrate much, did he? There's just something about him not quite right at the moment. Well, there's there's a couple of things I thought about that. One, I think that actually his performance, that that goal in the in the first minute was absolutely the perfect tonic for him because the rest of his performance did look really good. He kind of grew in confidence and stature throughout the game, and he took his tap in from the brilliant ball from Nani very well we, we had an email from a listener Rasmus Elbeck in Denmark so thank you very much for that Rasmus he he was saying that Rooney's lack of celebration is was kind of slightly concerning to him he just sort of ran out to the corner of the pitch but I don't know there was something interesting he he did like put both his hands to his mouth and sort of like to blow a kiss to the crowd and then almost caught himself to think oh wait a minute I don't know if I should do that and just held his arms aloft and there, there was some confusion I wonder if that's born of a lack of confidence for how the the crowd will perceive him now after he done what he done he done what he done well uh, there were chance of Rooney and, and all of that Old Trafford crowd is is apparently a very forgiving one yeah it was it was it was wholehearted and uh, raucous chance of Rooney I thought uh, no white Pele song though still still hasn't earned back the white Pele so. I don't I don't think he's earned that one yet right, well you'll remember it it took Ronaldo quite a while to get hit you know Viva Ronaldo back after his shenanigans with Real Madrid yeah that's um it's a weird one to me that because we're still singing Viva Ronaldo at away games and I don't 100% know how I feel about that what do you think? well I think time allows us all to be revisionists and if we think about the fans reaction after David Beckham left and the fans reaction to him now are completely completely different we can even think about the fans reaction to Ryan Giggs circa 2002 or so when when he wasn't playing very well and got got, the ironic hand clap when when he got subbed against Blackburn got all those headlines at the time and I, I think yeah. I, I think there's there's a little bit of that with Ronaldo of course he you know he sought to, he sought to leave the club for quite a long time and, and eventually got his way but but at least he didn't do it in a way that I suppose I mean it's some good PR at work here he didn't do it in a way that, that undermined the club he got a very big fee for him he did stay on an extra year he didn't drop about it too much although his body language wasn't always great and he's been very complimentary about the club ever since and made the right noises yeah I guess so I just there's a twinge of sadness in it as well I think because we could just I mean I know we're, we're top of the league 10 points clear of last season's champions still in Europe and the FA Cup you know 5 points clear of Arsenal with 5 goals better goal difference so we're not doing too bad but there are there have been many occasions particularly away from this away from home this season where having Cristiano Arno, Ronaldo in the side would have been incredibly useful and so I think there might be some wistfulness in it as well it's just I don't know we see George Best songs and Dennis Law songs and and Eric Cantona songs. I'm I'm not sure if Ronaldo belongs in that list. Well, he didn't he didn't stay at United, did he? And and the rest did. Well, although actually Cantona was only at United for five years, and and Ronaldo actually outlasted Cantona in that respect. Yeah, but but Cantona did a decent thing and retired. Yes, yeah. Well, I I, I like that quote. It's an old quote, uh, but I put it on the site this week and from Gary Neville, and he said that once you leave Manchester United in footballing terms, it's like falling off. A cliff. So talking of Gary Neville and retiring, I guess. Yes, the G-Nev, the G-Nev has gone. Well, his last game against West Brom, we, we talked about it at the time, was just awful, wasn't it? Look, talking of revisionism, let's not, let's just pretend that the last sort of two or three games he played for the club never yeah. happened and focus on the 600 previous games where he very, very rarely let Manchester United down. Almost never, almost never. And he, he's battled back through so many injuries over the last three years and been a great servant a true 
fan. He, he does hate Scousers, and and we love him for that. And uh, he's been a great servant of the club, and he worked really hard. And he's been he's been a not only a leader of the club, obviously captain for five years, but he's also worked hard uh, on the youth development development side and you know the PFA rep. And he's acted as a de facto agent to the younger players, and uh, he's you know, worked on their behalf. And uh, I think Ferguson and the rest of the United coaching staff owe Gary Neville a lot. He's just, I mean, you know, talk about Mr. Manchester United. He's hated by fans of every other club. And you kind of think you must be doing something right if uh, if that's the case. Uh, and of course, no no more so than the Liverpool fans. As you put on the uh, site this week, fans can say what they want. They can sing about you. So if they want to give it out, then you should be able to take it back. And everyone should just accept that that's the game we're in. That was uh, him kissing the badge in front of the Liverpool fans. Yes, for, for which he got a £5,000 fine, which, which of course another piece of FA inconsistency there. Yeah, I think you'd have to say that was worth every single penny. Um, the best, my favourite of all the quotes you've put um, on there, uh, this is Danny. He's 18 and he's won the league. <laughs> Introducing Danny Welbeck to Michael Owen. Brilliant. Brilliant and slightly painful. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, obviously Sir Alex Ferguson's just, I mean, the relationship that the two of them must have built up over these over these years is, is really an extraordinary thing. He's been, he, he, he was his club captain for five years and definitely been a Ferguson mouthpiece on more than one occasion. Um, yes. But uh, I mean, the the thing that a lot of that that kind of off the pitch stuff and the, the, the Liverpool fan stuff um, and the kind of, what do they call him in the England camp, the shop steward type type stuff, it, it overlooks the fact that here is a man who, not by any stretch of the imagination, the most gifted footballer of his generation, but just turned himself into a wonderful, wonderful fullback and he got better and better and better throughout his career. You know, players peak younger and younger and younger and, and the idea that a brilliant player at 23 is somehow going to be much better at 27 doesn't, I don't think Messi's going to be a lot better at 27 than he is now, but but Gary Neville worked every single day to make himself a better player and was a vastly better player at 27 than he was at 23. I mean, I don't know how he did it, but he taught himself how to cross a ball. I mean, he just... Yeah, that's right. I mean, I assume Neville being Neville was out on the training pitch crossing 100 balls a training session that's how he did it he after Beckham left he was United's best crosser of the ball for quite some time yeah and you would never have predicted that when he was a, a young fullback because he was always very sound defensively but wasn't necessarily much of a threat going forward uh, right. talking of not much of a threat going forward one thing he uh, didn't exactly do a lot of in his career was score goals he's uh, seven if only got one less in a way because then it would have been less than one in a hundred um, which would have been brilliant but a very very slightly more than one in a hundred goals never scored a goal for England extraordinary statistic given how many times no, in 80, 85 caps. And of course, if he hadn't been injured so often in the last three years, he, he'd have broken the 100 cap barrier easily, I would have thought. So yeah, it's still, still without injury, still would have been far more consistent than, uh, say, Glenn Johnson or any other pretenders. Yeah, I, I mean, just just a phenomenal... So, and, you know, he also... he. I, th- I think we, we often talk United greater than England, right? But I think his international career is definitely worth a mention because he was a really dedicated servant to the national team as well. And you could see that playing for the national team despite him being such a massive Manchester United fan unlike say a Jamie Carragher you know playing for the national team obviously meant a lot to Gary Neville it did it did and and he refused to retire and fairly famously said that it wasn't his decision to make and uh, injuries aside he, he would have carried on I'm sure yeah and and that's that's not necessarily getting massive amounts of love from England fans either because he was oh, such no. a Manchester United player so I mean uh, just a complete and utter hero on the pitch and you know I, I, me I like 
like a man who built who wants to build a Teletubby house as well. Hey, well, he got turned down the planning permission, so apparently having to revise his Teletubby house plans. And and uh, yeah, we'll see whether that one actually gets um, gets done or not. Of course, of course, a lot depends on whether he he goes into coaching or broadcasting or a bit of both. I, th- I think uh, the the rumours of of Neville doing some work for Sky are true, and he will. But I don't think it's an immediate replacement for Andy Gray. I don't think it's full time into it. I think he'll be on the panel of, of pundits, much like a, a number of ex-pros are. And Ferguson's talked about this already, uh, wanting to keep him around the club, and I'm sure they'll have him involved in United in some way. Must be such a... Uh, I mean, obviously, he's had a kind of somewhat more of a transitional stage because he's been injured for such a long time and sort of maybe seen a bit what his life would be like without football and seen that he can kind of manage, you know. And obviously, he could still do a job at a, a lower level, but just no interest whatsoever in falling off that cliff. No, and I don't think so. And I want I wonder whether I wonder whether it came down to to whether he'd be in the uh, in United. Well, he'd have been in the Premier League squad because actually we don't have enough players. We only got the twenty four. Although it was quite funny, Manchester Evening News this week reported that only Hargreaves was in the Premier League squad. Well, you know, there's no point leaving him out because there aren't enough players to fill that squad. So, but he might have been left out of the Champions League squad. Slightly different rules there, and that, that would have been quite embarrassing for him. So I, I wonder whether that might have precipitated this because there's no. I don't believe he's got a bad injury or anything like that. He could have hung around the squad till the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't help wondering about the Andy Gray thing as well. It's like, you know, it, it, there's plenty of alternative ways to spend your time for the rest of this season. Perhaps not having to train and stuff like that means he's more free to travel around the country doing that kind of work rather than fitting it in around around training. Uh, it's going to be nice to have just rabid Manchester United fandom out there on uh, in the television world. We've had a, we've had, there are a decent number of Manchester United old boys that end up on, on these things, but, but no Manchester United through and through type players. Well, Paddy Curran did one one stint on Sky. I think that was it. Yeah, one game and, and never went back again. <laughs> I wonder if that was their choice or his. Um, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice in the, in amongst that uh, Scouse Mafia. Well, I don't know how he's he's going to cope with that. He's never going to end up on Match of the Day, is he? It's a good job he's gone to Sky. <laughs> yes. Well, they always have a good mix on Sky anyway, so I don't think they could ever you know be accused of, of uh, favouritism, at least in the punditry but uh, there you go so of course he will retire having not scored as many goals as his brother and uh, I think that will be the one thing in his career that he uh, he has not won he, eight Premier League titles and three FA Cups and two Carling Cups in the Champions League of course and he missed out in 2008 but played in the 99 final but seven goals and his brother's got eight um, but yeah I mean both, both fantastic players but round of applause rank cast round of applause for Genev one of the one of the all-time greats and there is a man who deserves to hang have his name sung on no doubt will have his name sung on the terraces for uh, as long as people are singing uh, singing Manchester United players names of course Gary Neville's successor and Raphael will be back for for the game at the weekend against Wolves I would think after missing a couple of games with a concussion and you'd think this would be an easy three points for United even though it's away from home at the Molyneux um, yeah, uh, because all our points away from home this season have been so easy. I don't think it's easy at all. I think it's a pretty tough game, actually. I think the the Wolves' league position definitely belies some of their performances, especially uh, against the bigger sides. Uh, they did get beaten 3-0 by Liverpool, but even in the... Well, sorry, I, I was talking about their results against the bigger teams. It is the teams around them in the relegation battle that they've struggled against, so perhaps no wonder that Liverpool beat them. Well, they won at Anfield, of course. Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, ha- hastening the end of 
of lovely Roy Hodgson's tenure. But I don't think it's going to be easy. Our away form, Wolves' home form against the big sides, you, you can't see one of them horrible, horrible, frustrating draws on the cards? Yeah, well, I, I can, actually. I can see a horrible, horrible, frustrating draw. We've, we've lost there in the past. I, I remember one particular game where Wayne Rooney and Rio Ferdinand played in central midfield as a pair, which was the odd couple indeed, and, and I believe United lost 1-0. I don't. I can't believe I don't remember that happening because it sounds like the sort of thing that would burn into your memory. But I guess I've I've uh, I've blocked it out because it was too painful. It's a, it's a five thirty kickoff on a Saturday. Yeah, that's all right, and that's that's not too bad. Um, but I, I I do tend to find that we we do well when we get to play on Saturday afternoons. I don't know. It's a. Is there any stats in that? Are you just making that one up? Yeah. Well, one day. One day I'm going to look into the statistics to see if that's actually true, but I always feel good about us playing on Saturday afternoons. I know it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, yeah um, I, I, I'm, I'm nervous about this game. I'm, I'm nervous that Sir Alex won't give them enough credit and won't, and you know, maybe he'll drop a G-bomb. You know, it's, it's not impossible. He better not. It's funny how... It's, it's funny how the G-Bomb. I think we should call him that from now on because it's probably unlucky to even mention his name anymore. Yeah, it's funny how he's, he's crept into the side and just as we were saying Anderson was coming good, he got booted out of the side and, and in comes the G-Bomb. Um, did he play against Villa? Excuse me for being stupid. No. no. Well, there, there you go, you see. We were good and he didn't play and he was really, really, really awful in that Blackpool game. Awful. He got subbed off and then he did play the next game but it was kind of a freak of the fixture list, I think. Okay, of course, that's Fergie going soft in his old age i think i think when he was a, a 45 year old whippersnapper of a manager he might have hauled off the g-bomb after about half an hour yeah and and he, he i don't know maybe he would have made him play in goal against southampton or something you know as, as punishment I, I i think maybe the next time we see the g-bomb will be in the crawley town game that's his level <laughs> yes we'll we, but we'll i was going to say we'll see him playing for crawley but the transfer deadline's uh over but of course no no no, no still go not. on loan couldn't he it, yeah he could do in the football league yeah they're still allowed yeah let's ship him out <laughs> um, oh poor old Gibbo it's, it's like that Blackadder moment I feel like doing a little bit of a dance now you've said oh I said the word you said Sorry. the word no I didn't I said Gibbo it's not it's not you know but but it should be the G-bomb only um, but yeah so of course it, the G-bomb's had a right old it's got to the point where we won't even slag him off anymore because he's so bad so he's definitely going to play and score against the Wolves I think that's almost inevitable last minute top corner 35 yarder yeah. Oh, G bomb. I love him if he does. No, I okay. I, I'm. I'm. Even though I'm worried about this game, I'm still going to predict a win. And the the only uh, dark spot in the beautiful performance uh, against Aston Villa was Berbatov missing a golden opportunity to get his name on the score sheet and make it four one. That there was the 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 one he blasted over the bar, but then the one that made me think of you, um, where instead of kind of controlling it on his chest and blasting it in, he tried to do a bicycle kick and got himself horrible muddled and just sort of collapsed in a heap on the floor he didn't have a good game actually I mean I mean in front of goal he didn't have a good game no I thought his overall play was pretty good oh yeah yeah definitely but but his, he, he, he had a bit of a one in front of goal and I'm slightly worried about the you know those cuckoo clocks that you get where not cuckoo clocks but decorative clocks where one person comes out on one side which makes the other person go in on the other side so only one of them can be out at any one time I'm a little I'm a little bit worried that that might be what's going on with Rooney and Berbatov and so if one of them scores the other one instantly loses his ability to score I, I'd and like... isn't isn't aren't they the ones where one's dressed up in a French maid's outfit and one's wearing lederhosen <laughs> maybe I, I mean you know I'm not saying there's a connection but maybe 
We've all heard those rumours. <laughs> Maybe your decorative clocks were, uh, you know, adult decorative clocks, but I'm talking about a more innocent sort of tradition. Anyway, I think the fact that we're talking about decorative clocks means it must be time to wrap up another edition of the Rankcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for getting in touch last week, as, as I say, especially a uh, big shout out to Rasmus Elbeck in uh, sunny Denmark. I wonder if he's an Anders Lindegaard fan. Is that is that like really stereotypical to assume that uh, fans of United from particular like South Korean United fans all must love Park Ji Sung no oh yeah we didn't talk about that Fergie's managed to persuade yet another one of our players to retire from international football I, I know it's uncanny how often it happens isn't it yeah I, th- I think uh, he, it might have been put to him that if he wished to stay at the club for much longer that uh, he, he might he might do well retiring it, it's I mean he's played a hundred times for South Korea and it's not like you're playing for France you know it's, it's no, and I, I didn't actually see much of the Asian Cup aside from a few goal high. I actually I watched quite a bit of the final, um, Eurosport Two or whatever it was on the the Aussie uh, Japan game. It wasn't a bad final, but I heard reports that Park actually had a pretty bad, poor tournament or overall anyway. Yeah, and you know I I, I think. So a player whose game is famously founded on energy, probably do without using up his energy resources flying all around the world every time there's an international friendly. You should. And I think we should save our energy resources too. Or we all podcasted out and, and say goodbye to the listeners for another week. And I, we, we got in trouble actually with the listeners for not doing predictions. Oh, yeah, 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 right. So, so yeah, here we go. Predictions. What do you think the score will be against the Wolves? Okay, going back on everything I said about my fear of a kind of nervy, understrength side playing badly, I'm going to say we're going to play a full strength lineup and win 3 0 with both Berbatov and Rooney getting onto the score sheet. Well, I think it's uh, it's almost inevitable Rooney will score. He's a streaky striker, isn't he? In, in that he scores in bunches, not that he gets his kid off and runs around the pitch, although that made him score, fair enough. But uh, I, I think United will win. I, I think it'll be the 2 1, 2 0 kind of pretty pretty close uh, but I think Rooney will score and I think United will get a third win on the bounce away from home so thank you for listening and please come back next week if you want more from us in between um, Ed writes reams of excellent analysis every week on unitedrant.co.uk you can follow him on twitter at United Rant, and you can follow me at UTD Rantcast where I talk nonsense and try and make football related puns very good see you next week